Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. So I really think my only question for you is how do you do it all? <laughs> okay, but you maybe know. we should actually have you introduce yourself. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How do I do it all? Uh, Cool. So my name is Erica Escalante, and I am a coffee shop owner in Portland, Oregon, of the Arrow Coffee House. And I have two locations. And then I also am a director of coffee for a nonprofit called the Abbey Coffee Project here in Portland. And I... (laughs) I hate introducing myself (laughs) because I'm always like, oh, I do this and I do this. I own a commissary kitchen too here um, where we like rent out a kitchen to small businesses um, that just need a little bit of time. And then I'm a a family woman. Yeah. I mean, this is probably going to be a theme of this entire episode. How how do you do it? I'm seeing this (laughs) montage of like and like different like scenarios with like really upbeat like pop music and everyone's like how does you do it but um but besides that um can you so let, let's talk about some of the stuff you do but like let's go backwards yeah. how did you how did you even get into coffee to begin with yeah so um well in high school uh like I there's a Starbucks down the street from my school and my mom worked late a lot. So I would just walk down to Starbucks and just hang out there for like an hour every single day with the baristas. Um, And they would like make me a Frappuccino and I'd hang out and I'm like, I love this. I love coffee shops. (laughs) And uh, I didn't have a lot of friends in school. So I just like they'd always ask me how my day was. And like, I just loved it from the very start. What were you like in high school? Oh my God. I, (laughs) I think I was really annoying. Um, you know, I've always been really dynamic, but also like maybe over emotional and just a lot, like so talkative. And, um, I didn't have a lot of money, but I went to a really wealthy school. I was like a low income family, but we, my mom wanted to send us to a private Christian school. So it was like, I was also kind of chunky, so, like, I couldn't fit into Abercrombie and Fitch clothes, and my mom thought it was, like, too porno, so, like, I just wasn't cool, and (laughs) these are the things that come back, and I was so defiant, like, I would get in fights for fun, and I just wanted to argue with everybody, but you know what's funny is I run into people from high school now, and they were like, really? I thought you were so great, and I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding? Like, maybe this is just me, myself, where I'm like, I was terrible and not cool. And like, yeah, boy, crazy. <laughs> that's, what, that's like that episode of 30 Rock where Tina Fey goes back to her high school reunion. But it's like the opposite where she remembers being like a nerd that nobody <laughs> liked. And instead she was a bully. But like your story is like the opposite. <laughs> you know, I, I wonder though, Ashley, now that like I'm a successful person. I have a very cool life. Like really, I'm like so grateful Um, and so when people find me on social media now from high school, like, they're just like, you're so great. And like, oh, and then like, you were great in high school. I'm like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure like you wouldn't even sit next to me at lunchtime. Like, 
I don't think you, I think you like me now, but I don't think you actually like me in high school. That's funny. So I just wonder, you know, we're all nice to each other now on social media. Um, but I'm like, I like, yeah, I just remember not being cool and not getting invited to stuff. So, so well, you mentioned being successful now. How did you get, how did you kind of get to the point you are now? And that's obviously like a long story. So maybe we can start with yeah. like, how did you get your first coffee shop? Yeah. You know, I, I will say that like, it's crazy looking back now because I opened my first coffee shop. It's almost six years old. Um, so I was only 21 at the time. And I just, I, I always wonder like how my path got this way. I don't, I just, I know why I think, but it's just hard to articulate really of just like, I worked for this little small coffee shop and I just, bug the shit out of them with questions all the time. Like, well, why do you do this? Why do you do this? How does payroll work? How does inventory work? Why do you buy that? Why do you buy that? And like, and after working for them for a while, like I ended up like leaving coffee for a little bit and coming back and we ended up making this deal where I could buy their coffee shop from them at 21. It's like a crazy deal that like is not usually out there. And I had to work a lot of hours for free to get it. But, um, you know, it was just like this crazy thing where I was like, yeah, I'm going to run a coffee shop at 21. And like, I know all the answers and then like figuring it out and making this deal with, with these folks of how to get it. And, um, they were ready to be done. They had been doing it for nine years. It wasn't very profitable. It was super slow, weird location, all this stuff. It wasn't like a good business discussion, uh, decision. Um, it wasn't like a great shop to get into and put a bunch of money in, but it was just like, let's give it a try. Why not? You know? And yeah. And then it just went from there. What, what is like 21 year old Erica as a business owner, like oh versus current day <laughs> business owner Erica? Oh my gosh. Uh, so, okay. I'm a Sagittarius and then I'm an Enneagram number eight with like a seven wing. So like it's the challenger. So I'm just bullheaded over angry. Like my default is anger for everything. Like, um, and I had just gotten married like two months before I bought the coffee shop. Um, and so it was just like over emotional. I would, anything someone said to me, I would take it so personal and be so defensive. And like, just, I was so determined to get it right. And to be like great and like, you know, so I would just focus all my time and attention on the finances and how everything ran. And then I like, I couldn't afford employees. So my husband would um, work for me. And like, it's just like, he wouldn't clean out the porta filter. He didn't know anything about coffee. So I had to teach him. And then he like, wouldn't clean out the porta filter. And I'd be like, do you even love me at all? Like, do you even care about our marriage? <laughs> like, <laughs> it would just go there. <laughs> and he would just, he's so sweet. Like anyone who knows Trevor is like, he's the nicest person on the planet. And he would just be like, uh, 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 uh like, I'm sorry. Like, and I would just be like, Oh my God, just get out. I just feel like so frustrated with him. Um, just, I just care about every single thing, every detail. I care about every interaction with every person and it has to be right. And so then that that's me at 21. And now I'm like, calm down so much, like, like a lot, a lot. Um, 
And even I, I just recently realized like when I first had employees, like something would happen with an employee, something small. And I would just vent about it for weeks. I'd be so pissed for like a long time and just like, and vent over it. And now it's like nothing. Like, I'm just like, oh, that happened, whatever. And I'll forget to tell Trevor about it because he's not involved in the businesses really. So I'll be like, oh yeah, a few weeks ago I had to put someone on disciplinary notice. And he's like, wait, what? Like, how did you not tell me that? I'm like, I just didn't think about it. <laughs> it's like, not a big deal, you know, because like things happen, you just get used to it, you calm down and you can mature. I've matured in my anger for the most part, I feel like still maturing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so pretty fiery. I've just always been fiery. I think... Like listening to the episode of Keith's the shop that you did with Chris, um, one of the things that like kind of really stuck with me is the way that you approach leadership. Um, because I think it's something that like leaders don't ever really think about, especially if like someone like like in your situation, you were kind of just thrown into it. So I wonder like how did you start to kind of take lessons away from being the person in charge? Yeah, you know, I would say, so I, I was raised really religious, which my parents hate because they're like evangelical Christians. So they, it, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship <laughs> kind of thing, but it is religious. Like I went to private Christian school. I grew up going to church like four times a week. My, both my parents worked for the church, like, and you know, I have a lot of feelings about that now, but like looking back, like the thing that I was taught a lot growing up was just like how to really care and love other people. And then when you have these, this small business that is like your whole livelihood and you have employees come and work for you, you, I immediately would get so emotionally attached to them. And then every single thing they did was personal at that point. And I've seen this with business owners all the time, actually, like, because we care so much and we're working our asses off and we're so tired and we're poor, <laughs> we're pretty broke. Um, and then you have this employee that you're like, I'm going to train you. I'm going to try to be great for you. And then it's like, they quit with a two week notice and you're just like, how dare you? And it's like so emotional and hard or like, you know, they um, didn't lock the door at night or they, they dropped all the dishes on the floor and they all broke and you're like, Oh my God, I don't have $50. Like, come on. Um, you know? And so I think like trying to figure out listening a lot to all the talk in the industry about leadership and then just trying to pull from my own personal experience, like how do you love and take care of people and have really strong boundaries and how do you, how do we make this work? How do you have a good relationship with somebody that works for you? And how can you provide a good relationship back for them to be in a safe place? It's just a combination of all those things that every year I'm just like, how do we do this better? And um, where have I gone wrong? And I made a lot of mistakes. So those employees out there, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I've learned from every single person that has worked for me, good or bad things that I've done right or wrong or how I handle it. Um, and you have to constantly challenge yourself with that. It's cool that you apologize to your former employees. Oh my I gosh. Actually, well, I just actually had this conversation yeah. with a coworker where he was telling me about something that he did to one of his employees once. And I was like, you know, you can always apologize. And he's yeah. like, 
no, it's too late for that. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not too late. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's hard because, you know, there are some things that you, you can't help. So you feel defensive because you're like, no, they did something wrong too. Like, I know they did something wrong because, like, most of the time with people, and this is, I had to realize this. I'm an extrovert. I'm really straightforward. I could just talk about stuff, and it's not a big deal to me. But, like, being in the hospitality industry is constantly, like, having people on your team that have to put on a face all day because they got to please other people. And so they're like, you know, hi, how are you? And their smiles and everything's going great. Like, that's who I am. Like, I'd like just am that way. I don't know why, but I just am. But like for most people, they have to put that on and it's work for them to put that on. And so for me, I'm like, everything's good. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's happy. Everyone's good. But inside, like something is bothering them, but they don't have the tools or the history of their life experience to be able to bring that up. Or they have life experience that tells them the opposite, that it's dangerous to do that. They can't do it, that they're going to be in trouble. They're going to make someone mad. And so like they don't bring it up. And so all of a sudden, like six months later, this person that you thought you were really good with and everything was going well, all of a sudden dumps all this shit on you and they're like pissed at you and they hate you or they like, like really don't like you. And you're just like, what? Like, I thought we were really cool. Like, I thought everything was good. I had no idea that you were so upset about you know, the way we pour cortados. I had no idea that that was bothering you. And so then you get bitter, like, oh, that was their fault. And you're like, no, okay. I had to realize the kind of people that are on my team and how they communicate. And I got to make this space for them or try to. And I have to try to be able to work with who they are and what their life experience is. I can't expect them to do something that they don't know or that they're uncomfortable with or that they haven't learned, you know, or maybe they learn the opposite. And so it's just it, it, the relationships. It, it's a it's work. It's it's a lot of work and it's worth it. So worth it. You mentioned kind of like your background growing up um, in an evangelical family kind of affecting the way that you manage now. Are there other parts of like your background or your identity that kind of influence the way that you view leadership or even just being in the coffee industry in general? Yeah, you know, I'm Latina. Um, so my my dad's whole family, my dad is from El Salvador. He came here as a teenager. And then my mom is white, but um, her stepdad that, like, raised her and has always been my grandpa is from Honduras. So, like, he, like, I was raised with his family, too. So it was, like, a weird version of, like, Latin and white people. <laughs> um, but, like, my, my Latin family, like, for sure, like, they're so warm and welcoming and hospitable and also just like straightforward and kind of obnoxious and like, you know, like, uh, and we're just fiery. We're, we love hard. We depend on each other very hard. We aren't really like awkward with each other. It's just like straight up. And, um, and I've definitely like embraced all of that in me. Um, I think the first time my partner met my family, he was like, why are you guys yelling all the time? And I'm like, this is just how we talk. Like, what do you mean? We're not yelling. And I was like, oh, I'm yelling right now. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, my, my grandma, she, 
my whole life, she managed uh, Winchell's Donuts in California. And um, she is just always about customer service. Like if we went to Burger King and that register lady wasn't smiling, she would tell the manager, like, your your register person isn't smiling. That's bad customer service. <laughs> I kind of feel bad. I feel bad for the Burger King lady. But um, yeah, but it's always like when someone comes to your house, you make them food, you serve them, you make them feel welcome here. Um, and even just my parents being that way, but for them, it was a faith thing. Like we're all like everything that we have belongs to the community. And so it's like, if someone needs a ride, you give them a ride. Like that was our rules when we got a car. It was like, if someone needs a ride, you give them a ride. You don't leave anyone by themselves. You take care of the people around you. And like, you know, it's very people focused. Our whole life was people focused. It seems like a lot of the things you do are like translate that way, like the art community focus, like you have obviously a coffee shop, which is about bringing people in from the community. You have this commissary for people to, to, to like get their starts um, in the food world. And you also work for this nonprofit doing their coffee program. So like, how do you, how do you define community and how did you start to see yourself within the Portland community and kind of within the mm-hmm. coffee community as well? Yeah. Hmm. Let's start with Portland. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think like the type of personality I have, I just thrive on people. Like I get so much like energy and joy and just fulfillment in my life by like having good relationships with other people. And like, man, customer service is my favorite. I just love like, Hey, how are you? What can I get for you? Oh, here's your drink. Oh, how are you? Like, what are you doing today? And like, I mean, like I just... I love that. And so, you know, you start incorporating that into your life. Like I'm the person when I walk down the street, if someone's walking, I'm like, good morning, how you doing? You know, and I like keep going. They're like, what? Especially here in Portland. You're like the person who's like dying to be on the register, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love being on the register. I like, I like, freak, you know, Portland is weird. There's a lot of introverts, a lot of very polite, polite white people. Um, and so it's like, when I come down the street, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? They're like, what, what are you, what are you doing? The first time I went to a cafe in Portland ever, when I moved here nine years ago, I went inside and I was like, Hey guys, how's it going? And they literally stopped what they were doing, looked up at me and go, why are you so happy? And I was just like, (laughs) they literally asked me that. And I was like, it's a beautiful day. I'm here for some kombucha. Like, come on. Like, (laughs) and then I left there. I was like, I need to chill out if I'm going to make friends here, I think. (laughs) Um, And so I just get so much energy. Like I, it doesn't exhaust me to be that way. Um, And so it's like whenever there's something community with people, I'm like, I'm there. Like throwdowns, yeah, I want to be there. Oh, this event, yeah, I want to be there too. Oh, what are you doing over at your shop? I want to be there. I just, I'm a busybody. I just want to be around people. And, you know, I think like the way I was raised, like in a low income family, but a part of this like, like Christian environment where it's like, if someone doesn't have food, we're going to bring them food. If we don't have food, someone's going to bring us food. Uh, one year we didn't have any money for presents and we like open our door and there was a bunch of presents just there, like wrapped, ready to go for us. And it was like, that was just like normal life. Like, it's like, if you don't have something, someone is going to have it for you. Like if, 
it wouldn't be weird for me to call my grandma right now and be like, grandma, can I have 50 bucks? And she would probably just give it to me. Like, <laughs> you know, we just do that for each other. It's just how my family has been and my environment has been. And so it's like, my parents were always like, you always need to ask for what you need from other people. You need to put, let the need be known. And then you actually need to like fulfill other people's needs. And that's how this works. So like, and, and that's just how it is. <laughs> and so. I think, I think um, something that you mentioned is you have to let the need be known, which is really like important too. I think that that's hard to articulate. Yes. And that was like a phrase in my house growing up. I don't know how they did it or what, how they came up with it, but they always were like, let your need be known. Like, you know, if, like, if I wanted to be in cheerleading, it was like 250 bucks. And my mom's like, I don't have that, but like call your relatives and let the need be known. Like tell them you want to do cheerleading and ask them for $20. And like, I would have to get on the phone and literally call my relatives and say, you know, hey, Thea, I'm going to be doing cheerleading. Do you think you have $20 so I can do cheerleading? And like, that's what we had to do. Like, <laughs> And she'd be like, call your grandma now. And I'm like, okay. And I'd dial the phone and be like, hi, grandma. Like, I want to do cheerleading. Like, can I have $50? <laughs> Did you do What's that? Did you do cheerleading? Oh, man, I did. And I got kicked off the team because I wouldn't run when they told me to. Oh, <laughs> I was pretty defiant. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. And then but, my mom was pretty pissed. <laughs> but, well, I mean, we let the need be known, which I think is like a really, it's kind of incredible that your family taught that in a way, because that's like teaching someone extreme vulnerability. But, <laughs> but like, it's, not, it's not like common, like it's not common to teach people to be vulnerable. Now it is. Now it's like, you know. 2018 the year of self-care and the year of vulnerability but like I don't remember hearing the word vulnerable as much now as I like ever ever did you know in my whole life so no I'm a, I'm amazed by my parents like uh you know they drive me crazy too but like they're amazing people like I just um you know my dad came here as a teenager from El Salvador his family had to start completely from scratch none of their degrees mattered nothing like my grandpa was the treasurer of the country like literally like in the government had to flee and got asylum here during the war and when he got here the only thing he was qualified to do is to be a mechanic so he like has he still to this day is still a mechanic and works on cars and he's like so smart like you didn't you wouldn't know it but he knows so much and so it's like they grew up in east la my mom's from a really poor family and the two of them, they got together in high school and got pregnant with my brother at like 17 years old and like still figured out how to like stay together this whole time and like create a life for themselves and to like raise two awesome kids. And I'm like, how did you guys do that? <laughs> like, that's insane. And teach us things like that. Like everything I know is like from them. So I'm like, how did you pull this together? <laughs> that seems amazing and impossible. So I, I like got, so like, I feel like I'm almost cheating in this interview because I've already interviewed you before. No. <laughs> but one of the things that I was really struck by was the way that you view being a mother and like your example that you're setting for your daughter. And even before we started recording, you mentioned that like, that was probably the part of the interview that most people reached out to you about. So I'm wondering like, how do you see 
like yourself as a mother in the coffee industry and like what what kind of lessons do you try to teach your daughter and your your soon to be next co- next kid since you're eight months pregnant um, <laughs> like what what does that look like having this coffee shop and thinking about service and thinking about like the example your kids will set yeah, you know, it's it's pretty multifaceted. Uh, my daughter was born on the one-year anniversary of our first shop because uh, we bought our coffee shop. We got a few months into it, and I told my husband, I said, you know, if I don't have a kid right now, I'm never going to do it because I love my job too much. And right now, if we have a kid now, I'll learn to just adjust and move through it. But if I get, if I build this up, I'm not going to want to stop to have a kid And so we're like, all right, let's do it. So she was born on the one year anniversary of our shop, which was crazy. So she literally was just like in the shop all the time with us, like from birth, like just hanging out. And I just love that she is able to be a part of this community aspect that it's not church. (laughs) It's like, it's like church though, because your community is coming in and you have this like relational transaction going on where people um, want want what you have and you're serving them really well. And like, we have to like learn how to have good customer relationships, but then also like how much like a part, our shop has so many ties to the world, right? Like we're supporting these vendors and we're supporting these farmers across the world. And um, like, we're just one piece of that. And so it's such like, it's crazy how we could teach her and our next one, just that we are a piece of a huge puzzle in this community. And in the same way that church taught me that I feel like my coffee shops, the coffee industry teaches my kids that, which is like so cool and amazing. Um, you know, the other facet of that is teaching her. I had, I realized this year she's four. She talks a lot. And, uh, my head manager at my Portland store, she calls Uncle Mark because um, he's a family friend. And uh, one day she goes, Mom, like, don't you think it's really cool that Uncle Mark just will do whatever I want when I come in the coffee shop? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was like, my kid has staff, like, and they do whatever she wants when we go in there. She goes, you know, we teach, she has to be polite. So she's like, can I please have a hot chocolate? And they're like, yeah, no problem. I'll get it for you right away. And I'm just like, y'all need to be a little bit harder on her and be like, you need to wait a minute. <laughs> like, I had to, like, cause she just comes in and they're like happy to see her and they just get her what she wants. And she's like, isn't that cool? And I'm like, oh man, now we have to talk about having staff. And so like, I had to set these rules in place for her that like, when you go into the coffee shop, you have to greet every single person on our staff. You have to go up to them and look them in the face and say, hi, how are you? It's good to see you, you know, and then you're going to wait in line just like everybody else. You're going to say, may I please have whatever it is? And you're going to wait patiently for them to do it. And then I said, you're going to say, thank you. Like we set all these rules up and I said, you know, if you don't, if you're in a place where you don't feel like talking to anyone today, then, then you can't come in the coffee shop. You can hang out in the hallway. You can be shy and that's fine. But like when you come in, we have a responsibility to like treat these people really well and to make them feel safe and appreciated. And like, and then I said, on our way out, we're going to say goodbye to every person and you're going to verbally encourage them. Say you're doing a good job. Thank you for working hard today. I appreciate you. Something you have to like verbally encourage them. And, uh, and we put that in place and it's just, it's so cute. (laughs) How does she take to that? 
uh, you know, she's really, she's, man, she's like my twin <laughs> and she loves it. Like she, she just jumps right in and does it. And she's learning a lot, I think, just about all of that. But like, uh, I just always worry about, you ever have a boss who has kids that are terrible, but you're obligated to be nice to them because it's the boss's kid. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want my employees to feel that way about my kids, you know, so they, I, we need to do everything we can to make sure it's not hard on the employees when the kids stop by. <laughs> and, um, and she loves it. She's so sweet about it. Sometimes she forgets or she's like, doesn't want to say something or whatever, but like the employees are so sweet to her. I just really appreciate the way that they treat her and incorporate her in, into their work. Um, and they just, they're really good with her and vice versa. She just loves them so much. And when they quit, she, she has a hard time when they, when they leave. Uh, I know we had this awesome employee, um, Patrick, if you listen to this, like he put in his notice, it was time to move on. And she was like, mom, if I write him a letter, like, will he stay? And I was like, no, Muñeca, like they, he's not going to stay. Like it's time for him to move on and we could still be friends and we could go visit him at his new job. And like, and she was like, okay, like she was so bummed. <laughs> um, but it's good. Like, I think, man, she, I can't imagine what she's going to say as an adult about this experience, but I hope, my hope is that it will just be positive and good. And that, uh, my goal is to not have my kids resent my work, (laughs) Um, which is a fear, you know, it's a fear when you're a working mom that like, you're going to mess up and your kids are going to think that your job is more important than them. And that's hard to carry with you (laughs) throughout your day, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know. Well, <laughs> being honest, you can imagine. Um, I don't know. I My mom was a working mom. Yeah, I, I mean, you can imagine like if you had a mom and your relationship with your parents, and just like I remember my mom working till like five o'clock every day, and I would be like kind of bitter about it. Like, why can't my mom just be a stay-at-home mom? Like, why doesn't my mom make my lunch like the other kids? Like, why don't like why do I have to wait around for her every day? Or like, oh man, why does she have to work on? the day that I have off, you know, why can't we hang out and feeling that way. But overall now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, my mom was a badass and she was really cool. And I'm glad she worked because I had to find other stuff to occupy my time. I think, I I think like you must've, you must be like secretly like an older soul than me because I cannot remember having like those kinds of thoughts as a child because my mom worked too as a kid and I could not even wrap my head around the idea that like I had feelings about that you know like I was just like I was I was a dumb dumb kid I was not very smart um because I was just like my mom worked so I had like keys to the house and I would just like go home and make myself a like a packet of ramen and like chill but I also was like an easy kid like I didn't do anything like I just sat and read books yeah so it's not so much that like, I can't imagine it as more as more of a yeah. like I couldn't even register that that was like an emotion that I had oh my god you know I there's something I think maybe this maybe comes from the Christian thing too like I went to private Christian school and from a young age like first grade you're starting to talk about your worldview you know and they they talk about it because they want you to have a 
biblical worldview but you're constantly being told that like look at the world around you analyze it what would jesus do kind of thing and so like we're constantly talking about our feelings how like how we're going to navigate the world and like i don't know if that just brought to my attention like so much more even just like prayer at a young age and what it could be extremely harmful to young children but for me it 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 wasn't, it was like really good spiritual meditation kind of thing. Like I I was just like, you're taking time like three or four times out of your day to just sit and meditate and ask God for things that you need or that how you feel. And so it's like all of that getting wrapped up into like always analyzing your feelings and talking to God about them. Like, uh, you know, I think just like, changed my life in a weird way. And like, I don't know, it just, I feel really lucky that I was able to go through that lifestyle without like getting super damaged. I think I have things from that, which is like a whole other conversation, but like it it all plays in everything we go through in our life plays into how we react now and how we, how we see the world now, you know? So I can't just like ignore this huge part of me. (laughs) It's, I am like struck by how self-aware you seem, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you you seem to like really know you. And then if like, you know, this is me maybe getting caught up in my own perceptions of like self and identity. But like when you told me that you like, that you're number one, you're 28. Like, so you're not a lot younger than me, but you're younger than me. And then you're telling me all these things about like when you're 21, you're like, I'm going to love this too much. I have to have a kid now. I'm like, how much self-awareness does like, does that involve? It has to involve like a fair amount of like, I know me and I know myself. And yeah, I don't know. You seem to like beautifully weave like this self-awareness along with like this room for growth, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I, I agree with you with that. And I haven't been able to figure out exactly what that is. Like, I don't know if it's just this like extreme drive to like get everything right and to do everything like really well. I'm not a perfectionist. I don't care about perfection, but I, I want to do it the very best that I could possibly do it. Um, so I don't know if it's like that where I'm constantly like, how do I do this better? How do I do this better or, or what? But like, I don't know. It's just maybe like, I I hear people saying like, oh, I'm an intuitive. I like, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but maybe I, I'm that, like, (laughs) you know, um, I'm not really sure, but I just, I do that all the time. Even from when I like, I'm always like thinking about being better and where I'm at now and how I feel and why I feel that way and like how I'm going to move on and, and become different or better or, or stay the same or, you know, I just, it's just, I don't stop thinking, <laughs> which is hard. <laughs> so because this is the end of the year and I feel like the end of the year should always have some sort of like end of the year recap. Yeah. So tell us about 2018 for you. Oh my gosh. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, so I opened my Portland shop. It's in the heart of Northeast Portland, um, in June, 2017. So, um, when I did that, my other shop had already been what, four years old at that point. And so, 
Um, but I was not like known in the industry. I did not have a place in the industry, but I wanted to. So like, I would go to throwdowns and stuff, but like, no one would talk to me, especially in like my stores in Damascus, which is like, no one knows where that is. Um, <laughs> they're like, okay, what? A second wave? Okay, get out of here. Um, but really it's a third wave shop. It's just out there, you know? So I'm like, actually 2018, I told my partner, I was like this year, I need to get plugged in and I need to make more connections. And I kind of did that when I started opening my Portland store. Um, but it was just so crazy being in the store all the time and figuring out new shops and stuff. So then 2018, I was like, I'm going to go at SCA this year. I'm going to start making connections and friends and I'm going to like go for it. And I'm just going to put myself out there. And so I did. I went to SCA um, and I was like kind of making friends, but still like, I'm like, man, I want people to know who I am. So <laughs> um, I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And so I, like, I was trying to figure out how, how you make your, your place in the industry. How do you become well-known? And I never figured it out. And then, um, this summer I ended up like seeing something inappropriate on Instagram from a coffee person and calling them out on it. They had made a rape joke and I just was like, oh, that's not cool. Like not cool at all. And I just posted it online because uh, his reaction was not very good to me. So I just posted it like, hey, y'all should know not to follow this guy. He's really like, this isn't cool. And um, man, all of a sudden I was known. Like my Instagram blew up. Um, I ended up opening my Instagram to a public Instagram, which I've been wanting to do for a while, but I was just waiting for the right time. And literally just people all over the world and all over the coffee industry were like supporting me and cheering me on and just like in support of that. And it was just unreal. Like all of a sudden, all these people that I've wanted to connect with were connecting with me. And like, it was, I was just doing something that I thought was like, whatever, like this is messed up and people should know it's messed up. But it just ended up becoming like such a strong way of me of making friends and feeling encouraged. And it just blew up from there, you know, so it's like 2018 was the year of making friends for me in the industry. And it, it's feels so good. I love, I love coffee industry friends so much. Like they just make my life so much better. I just love seeing them on Twitter, on Instagram and talking with them and, and being friends with them. It's been the best thing. I think, Something that like really gets me excited is coffee in Portland, not because of what it's been, but where it's going. So like the fact that like you're in Portland and like Karen and Mike Nelson are in Portland mm -hmm. and like Ian is in, like, there seems to be just like a lot of really great people opening up coffee shops in Portland in the last couple of years. And I wonder like how you see coffee evolving in Portland and like what's your place there? Yeah, you know, that's funny because you're right. Like, man, even uh, we have uh, Cassie and Joey that own Buckman Coffee Factory here too. And their sisters that own uh, Marigold Coffee and um, and then this like shared roasting space. Man, these, we have uh, Jen Hurd lives here too. She's like, we have these amazing people. And I would, I would say they're some of my best friends in the industry and the people that like I turn to when I, when I need something like they're my true friends, you know, and they're amazing. And then you have a ton of like, we, we only make up a small percentage of the 
of the coffee scene here. You know, you still have like typical white guys opening up crazy fancy coffee shops all the time, like everywhere. It's so strange, you know? Um, and so it, it's, it's a weird mix right now, especially like, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's, I think our Portland scene is a little burnt out on events right now. We went really, really hard in 2017. There was an event going on all the time. And like now it's just like, oh, another throwdown. Oh, okay. You know, it's just, so I don't know where our industry is going right now. It, we're all friends and we're all close and we make a point to spend time together and to talk. But like, I'm not, I'm not really sure where it's going. Um, a lot of baristas are looking to Stumptown right now. <laughs> we're a lot of baristas are heading to Stumptown for those benefits, you know, and like, we're just like, how do we, how do we provide how, as small businesses? How do we do this better? Because like, we want to provide that too, but like, we don't have the money and like, you know, so we're all challenging each other and, and, and making each other better, but we just like, don't know where that goes, you know? Yeah, that's totally, that's totally fair. And that's funny that you said that about Stumptown, because I feel like I'm seeing the exact same thing happen here in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you know, 2019 might be the year of the benefits, right. um, yeah. of, you know, right now. Um, but like looking to something that I love that you said before you started recording, and I wish I had recorded this, <laughs> is that you like being the center of attention, you like talking and you like, <laughs> you like having the limelight. So I wonder, like, in the next like 10 or 15 years, when people think about you and your example, like, what do you hope people take away from that? Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. I say I want attention. And then now this year, looking at all the attention I've got, I, I did get a lot of attention this year. Um, and I'm just like, whoa, did I really want all that? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I have a hard time identifying myself as someone really spectacular or special or amazing. Like, I just feel like I'm myself. So to me, I'm just like, I'm just normal and I don't, nothing special. But then when I talk or have meetings with people or get interviewed, it's like, you know, you're in this position where people are like, oh my God, your ideas are incredible. And the way you live your life and the way that you run stuff is like so amazing. And I'm like, it is like, I just thought I was like being myself or a normal person uh, or, you know, but, but at the same time, like there's no business owner out there that does this because they don't think there's something special. Like you're, if you're going out of your way to create a business, it's because you think you have something to offer that no one else does. Like you don't just do this just because that's ridiculous. <laughs> like we all do it because we think we could do it a special kind of way. Um, so it's this weird internal struggle of like, okay, I am bringing something to the table and I accept that. Um, and now like, what is it? You like, what is it about me that I'm bringing to the table? How can I make this industry better and, and encourage people? Like, I would just love to be the encourager and the kind person around that's like, let's be better. Let's love each other. Let's serve better. Let's, you know, that I like, I would love to be that person. So even like, I would love to do public speaking. I don't know about what, but like, I would figure it out. <laughs> like, how do we, how do we become like, how do we bring our humanity to business with, 
without crossing boundaries? Like, is that possible? I'm always wondering if that's possible. Like, how do um, business owners and employees like have better relationships without crossing boundaries? Because oftentimes we talk about having good relationships with our employees and it's, it feels impossible or it feels like you have to cross into some weird boundary of like, Oh, they're like family. And you're like, that's not appropriate either. There's like a weird balance. And can we figure that out? And, um, you know, how do we, how, how do we become nicer in the industry to each other? Like, I just want to be nice and I want everyone to be nice and I don't know how to do that. So like, I would love to do that. I, once I figure it out. Um, yeah. When you figure it out, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like, how do you, you know, the main thing, like I, the, I'm trying to 2019, I'll try to figure this out, but just like, you know, I, I run the Portland baristas page, Facebook page and Instagram. And basically I just post about events or job openings. Like I don't, I just am reposting everyone else's stuff in one localized place. So everyone knows what's going on. And, um, you know, like, especially in our industry or in any industry, but like for the coffee industry, it's like, I was going to plan this event with somebody. And then someone was like, oh no, the people in that event, like they're abusive towards women and all this stuff. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, are you kidding? I never heard this. And then I was like midway planning an event with this accusation coming up. And it was like, no one told me directly. It was like, so-and-so said to this, to that, to that, to that person. And then I'm like, how do I, or is that my job? Like, what do you do? Like, what do we do in this industry when there's an accusation and like, we can't say it out loud or like, can we say it out loud? I don't know. Like, I don't know the rules. So like you, but you want to believe victims, of course, a hundred percent, you believe the victims. We have to decide how to handle this stuff when it comes up so that like the victim is safe and protected. And like, we're only promoting good things in our industry. Um, but I don't, I don't know the balance. It's so hard. I don't know. I I don't know either. And I think that oh, 2019 is definitely going to be a year where we find ways to make it safe for victims to come forward because yeah. I think the whisper network is very real and it makes it difficult for, for accountability to happen because you see, you know, you say your truth, you say like this happened to me and then you see somebody else like using coffee from a person that you were harmed by and you're like well why is this person doing this and it's like oh because they don't know and like yeah there's really no forum for that um and if i'm being perfectly frank i'm a hundred percent talking about my own personal experiences um and even then i like you know i have this podcast i have this platform and i'm still even like quivering a little bit thinking that like i've said too much yeah and that's hard and like and I'm in a position of power. Like, I recognize that. Like, there's not much. Like, at the end of the day, I own my own shop and I call my shots, you know, and I'm a, I'm like an empowered female and I have people behind me. And like, you know, so like me calling out somebody, you know, I'm sure has will have repercussions depending on how big the person is in the industry. But like, for the most part, I'm not too afraid. So I'm like, how do I utilize that in the best way possible to protect people and to get the truth out there? Um, but like, even 
I was traveling around and I had like posted a picture on my Instagram with someone who reached out to me and wanted to like grab something to eat or whatever. And so I posted like, oh, hanging out with so-and-so. And immediately I got like five messages being like, oh, that person, blah, blah, blah. And like they blah, 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 blah. And like, they're terrible. And I'm like, oh shoot. Like, well, what do I do with that information? Like I, I had no idea. And I just post on my public Instagram hanging out and I'm like, damn, like, and yet we see the same people emceeing events or the same people like getting popular, the same people at SCA doing stuff. And you're like, oh man, why are they still around? Why, why are they still getting gigs? Because they suck. <laughs> like They're terrible. Yeah. Why are they still getting gigs? And you're like, ah, oh, that's because I have shit on them. I won't talk about because it feels inappropriate. <laughs> you know, I'm not just going to come out and be like, oh, they shouldn't be the MC because they were rude to me on an event. And they insulted me. You're like, not going to do that. But at the same time, you know, 20 other people are thinking the same thing. And we like, there's nothing to be done. I, I don't know. I, this has been like a huge thing that I think about this year. What do you hope for for next year? Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> um, you know, I hope well, you're gonna have a baby. I'm going to have a baby, which is pretty exciting. I'm, I'm pretty I don't really like kids, but, um, <laughs> I really don't. Um, but like my kid is cool and I excited about whoever this person is. And I love that relationship part of it. Um, so I'm excited, but you know, I also like, I would love to have more discussions about this and like, even just, even if it's just a localized Portland conversation about, you know, how to protect victims. And, um, you know, I, I've had that a little bit since I'm like the Portland baristas person. I kind of like people have called me the Boster mom or like the mom of the baristas in Portland. <laughs> and I actually, I kind of like it. I, I appreciate it because I just want everyone to know in the industry that like you are safe coming to Arrow or coming to me um, if you need to talk about something. So I've had baristas come to me to talk about wage issues with their employer or just like, Hey, what do I do about this? Or I, I don't feel like this is right, but I don't know the rules or like, what do I do about this? And it's like, just being able to listen to them and being like, this is what I know. And this is like the things that you could do. And whatever that fine line is of like, a lot of people don't know what minimum wage is. Like they, they just trust their employer to pay the minimum wage and like Oregon has two different minimum wages. So you really need to know what you're doing or just like, what's the rule about this or what's the rule about this. And like, people don't know, like, especially when you're like working in the coffee industry, you're like, I don't know, or it's always been bad. And so this is normal. It's normal for my boss to like scream and yell and throw things at work. That's normal. And you're like, I no, that's not normal. Like that's not okay. <laughs> you know, and so it's like I just wish I just wish that uh we can empower people to be better because it's only gonna make our industry better and and also be able to um have good relationships with each other. Like I hate I don't I don't you know, I wanna get along with everybody and yet I don't because if you're an abuser or, a, you know, something I don't want to be friends with you, but like, I don't know that all that is hard to navigate. And I wish I knew, could have a better answers for that. 
Um, well, we have all of 2019 to figure it yes, out. Yes, yes, quite. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, if people want to reach out to you, how should, like, what's their, like, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram, uh, Escalante underscore Erica, um, or I'm on Twitter, Brew Like a Mother. <laughs> and I think I'm clever. I just joined Twitter, like, a couple months ago, so I, I think I'm funny still. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I work for the Abbey Coffee Project, so that's a really cool nonprofit, nonprofit coffee experience here in Portland, um, and we serve coffee just like a manual pour-over bar from roasters all over the world, um, and so we're like, that's really cool to see, um, but yeah, mostly on Instagram, I'm on there uh, just posting about my life. <laughs> um, and, you know, hopefully, like, I think I will try to do more public speaking this year. I did that. I tapped into that this year a little bit um, and did some speaking engagements. And I really hope to do that again. But I know the first half of the year is just going to be a baby thing. And then probably the second half of 2019, we'll see what happens. Erica, thanks for talking to me and being like, just really candid and amazing and I could keep going. Um, no, it's been really great. It's, it's fun to be able to like have conversations that are obviously about coffee, but are also about like the people in coffee and the stories that they have to tell. So I really appreciate you telling your story. Oh, thank you. I, I'm such a fangirl of you. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know, when you, when you're online, when you're first diving into the industry, you're like, who do I want to be friends with? And you're like, Ashley. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Oh, I'll real. take it. Now I'm going to go hide in the corner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, me and uh, Ian from Deadstock, we were just saying like, damn, we could be interviewed by her all day because she's asked such thoughtful questions and does such a great job in her writing and in her podcasting. And so we just, I'm going to cut this all out. So (laughs) you shouldn't, you should keep it in. Um, Yeah. But we love you. So thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And thank you to everyone who's listening. Please tune in next time when we have another interview with another amazing person, Uh, probably not as amazing as Erica, but still good. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye to everybody and happy 2019 whenever this gets released sometime around the new year. All right. Bye. Boss Barista was created by me, Ashley Rodriguez, and made in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading brand studio, editorial platform, and podcast devoted to the many issues worth discussing around the things that we eat and drink. You can learn more at goodbeerhunting.com. Please check out their website. There are so many incredible articles that I find myself looking at constantly over and over looking for advice about how we can be better in the coffee industry. They're doing a great job and they're helping us make this podcast for you folks. So goodbeerhunting.com. Go ahead, check them out.